Good morning. Thank you, Jamie, for leading worship this morning, and his wife, Kelly. Thank you for Chris. You the man. Uh, Jamie is a professor at New Orleans Seminary, or I like to say the New Orleans Cemetery, but uh, Jamie's breathing life into that school. And No, I'm kidding. It was already alive. Great, great, uh, phenomenal Baptist uh, training center to raise up uh, the brightest and best to take the most important news of the gospel to the world. So thank you, Gail, this morning for leading, uh, helping lead worship. If you're a guest this morning, welcome to our church house, our church building. This is actually not the church. Uh, the people are the church. In case you didn't know that, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Our mission at First Baptist is to gather together in worship, grow together in community, and to go together to all nations. That's what we want to be about. If you have your Bible this morning, please turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Luke is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have been journeying through the book of Luke the past few weeks, and today we come to a fascinating passage in Luke chapter 5. And today, you get to go fishing with Jesus. It's pretty cool, huh? Pretty awesome to do that. Let down your nets. Luke chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 1 all the way through verse 11. If halfway through reading of the Scripture, uh, you need us to take a break, just raise your hand and we'll try to stop for a moment. But um, after you gather yourself, we'll continue. All right, ready? If you're ready, say fish. All right. Smell, do y'all smell fish right now, or is it just in my head? I've been in this passage this week. I'm smelling fish. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. By the way, that is the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Bethsaida. Many other titles. Verse 2 And he saw two boats by the lake. How many boats? Two boats. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Whoop. Back to verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was whose? Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching 
men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You, God, that we have the Bible in our language. God, thank You that we can read it and find encouragement through the words. God, thank You for the power that it contains. And Lord, this morning, God, we ask, God, many of us need a word from You. Maybe it's been a long week for many of us. Maybe it's been a good week. But God, regardless, Lord, we trust right now that You speak to Your people. We anticipate with faith what You're going to say to us, what You're going to teach us, God, what You're going to encourage us by. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, when you go fishing with Jesus, something's going to happen. He came to Galilee, this region, to find some followers. Not just anyone. He would look for people that are weak enough to depend on Him. He didn't come looking for the best looking. He didn't come looking for the smartest. He didn't come looking for those with just the perfect skills, or even the wisest. Like Pastor Ned Graham said this week at his father's funeral, Billy Graham. He said Billy Graham was fat. In other words, he was faithful, the F, he was faithful. A stands for he was available, and T, he was teachable. Billy Graham was faithful, available, and teachable. What about you? What about me? This is the man or woman that God will use. Not the person who thinks that they know it all or that really believes they know it all, but will not say that publicly. But Jesus was looking for men who the Bible would say would turn the world upside down. Warren Wearsby says that fishermen know how to work together. They do not give up easily. They have courage and they labor diligently. Some ideal qualities. But at the end of the day, God was looking for people who would be obedient. Seven lessons I'd like to share with you this morning from a fishing trip with Jesus. Number one, people want to hear the Word of God. Did you know that? The fastest growing churches in America are the ones that are standing on the Bible, that are teaching the Bible, that their small groups are focused on the Bible. We're tempted to think that, you know, people out in the community and uh, that are unchurched, they... Uh, we need to ease them into it. We need to, to give them a book to read or a, a certain podcast to listen to or, or whatever. Actually, that's the opposite. We need to give them the Word. It's the Word that sets people free. It's the Word that has power to break strongholds. The churches that are not standing on the Bible are fading quickly in our nation. 
I guess that's a really good thing. People want to hear the Word of God. Look at verse 1. The crowd is pressing in on Him to hear the Word of God. They didn't press in on Him to hear what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. They didn't press in on Him to see uh, what controversial uh, social epidemic would happen that week. They pressed in on Him because they needed a Word. They needed to hear the Word of God. They wanted to hear the Word of God. Now, to give you some context, they were there by the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about twice the size of Bay St. Louis. Did you know that? It's a lot deeper than the Bay of St. Louis. It's 32 miles around the Sea of Galilee. It is the lowest freshwater lake in the world at 702 below sea level. Some of you guys think that your elevation at your house is slow. This is low, lower. See, when you think you're low, there's always somebody that's lower, that has, a, has had a worse day than you. The second lowest lake in the world, only behind the sea, the Dead Sea, which is down the street from the Sea of Galilee. Actually, the Jordan River flows through the Sea of Galilee and then ends in the Dead Sea. The deepest point in the Sea of Galilee is 141 feet. It's a deep lake, especially for fresh water. In 1986, uh, hold on a second, there we go. Okay, 1986, a boat was found, just like this one. Actually, this is a drawing of it. That is dated to be around the time that Jesus was doing ministry. And it was fascinating discovery. This boat, uh, is, the length of it is 26 feet, 26 and a half feet. The width is seven and a half, four and a half feet uh, deep, depth. And this would be, uh, many scholars think that the boat that Jesus was in, the boat here on the side of the Sea of Galilee, we don't know for certain if it looked like that, but there's a great chance that it did. Capacity of about 15 people, made out of cedar, primarily for fishing, but it could have carried a lot of things. It could have uh, taken some people from this side of the lake to the other side, it had a sail on it. Fascinating discovery. If you go to Israel today, you can see the actual boat that they found. And then they also have a rebuilt version of it. But, number two, sometimes God will test our faith by calling us to do seemingly impossible and difficult task. Do you know that? Sometimes the Lord, He will. He'll test our faith. He, see, he will see if what we're singing on stage or what we're singing out in the audience if we really believe it. And if you don't think that, you hold on long enough. You follow Jesus long enough. You will find that to be true. Sometimes He tests our faith by calling us to do the impossible. Calling us to do something difficult. You see, these, these men were expert fishermen. They knew how to fish. I mean, they understood 
when the tide was rising. They understood where these fish would school up. They understood uh, how to how to look at the water and to, to to read the weather. They didn't have they couldn't pull an app on their phone and check the latest forecast. I mean they they watched the sky. They watched the stars. They watched the animals. A storm's coming. Uh, the dog's not whining yet. They they understood how to fish. They knew what to do. They knew where to fish. They knew where the fish were. And they knew when to fish. And it was that night that they felt good about it. So much that they fished all night. They felt good about it. They knew it was going to be a good night. Maybe it was a full moon. They were fishing. They expected to catch fish. And the Bible says they caught nothing. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And He will. Oh, God doesn't test people. Yes, He does. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. He can do absolutely. He can test you. He can sift you like wheat if He wants to. He can check your oil. He can see where your heart is. He gives you opportunity to prove your faith is what it is. It's like a dad setting the ball on the tee for his son so he can hit it. He finds joy and pleasure from watching us hit that ball. You see, these disciples, they knew how to fish better than anyone. Except for Jesus. Because He made the fish. He created the fish. Another lesson that we can see this morning is that the Lord is less concerned about what we can do and more concerned with showing us what He can do. Obedience increases our chances of seeing what He can do. I mean, if these guys would have, at the end of the story, you see that they, they left everything that followed the Lord. If they had not gone forth in obedience, they would have missed out. They would have missed out on the three years of the wildest ride of their life. They would have missed out on the rest of their life, which is when they turn the world upside down. Obedience increases, it increases our chances of seeing what God can do. Jesus can do what we cannot do. He is boundless. He has no limits. When we see what God can do, we will be less consumed with what we can do. When we become more consumed with what He can do, we will do great things because it will be Him working inside of us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of His good pleasure. I'm going to say that again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of His good pleasure. You may be here this morning saying, man, I don't think God's working in me at all. Well, He might not be. You might not be listening to Him. You might, you might not be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. You might be going through life doing your own thing. 
And if that's you today, you'll have a chance to, to change course, to repent, to let the Lord have full control of your life. We're riding a kingdom wave that we didn't start, church. And there's no telling where it's headed. We're just holding on for dear life, and that's a good place to be. It's exciting. God's kingdom's on the move this morning. Surrendering to God is the blessing of all blessings. Number three, I mean number four, I can't count, I'm from central Mississippi. I just offended everybody that's from central Mississippi. I apologize, I specifically cannot count. Number four, when God wants to teach us something, He will use whatever means He wants to use. Right? I mean, can you, are you thinking yet? If you, you guys going through your whole life story? When God wants to teach us something, He can use whatever. I mean, it can be a bird that you hit on the interstate. It can be uh, small things, and it can be great big things. But whatever we face, whatever we go through, the Lord wants to use it to teach us something about Him. He wants to show us His glory. Just a glimpse of it. Number five, when we come to face to face with God's power, our, our sinful nature becomes more evident. So, verse seven, the Lord, in verse seven, their partners, they had to come from the other boat to help them. They came and they filled both the boats and they, they began to sink. They caught so many fish that their nets were breaking. Wow. it's a lot of fish. And then we see a theophany takes place. A theophany is when someone encounters the Lord in person. Look what happens to Peter. All these fish are being caught. Obviously, it's a miracle. I mean, they knew how to catch fish. They didn't catch fish. Jesus shows up, tells them to go out again. Lord, this makes no sense. You're a carpenter from Nazareth. What do you know about fishing? You guys don't even have any big lakes in Nazareth. And all of a sudden, they say, okay, Lord, we'll do this. We're going to put down our nets. And look at Peter's response. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When we come face to face with God's power, our sinful nature becomes more evident. Peter, much like Isaiah, had the heart, had the attitude like Isaiah, chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. Peter was confronted with the Lord's power and His majesty. And in this occasion, it really wasn't Peter's disobedience in the moment because he was obedient in the face of circumstances that did not make sense. Jesus told him to let down the nets. He said, Lord, at Your Word, I'll let down, down the nets. So it wasn't specifically disobedience in the moment that he was not right with the Lord, but it was his whole life. He, just, he came face to face with God and he was overwhelmed. He knew that he was a sinner. Next, we see that following Jesus 
required the fishermen to have to leave everything they had ever known. Jesus sees these fish. Uh, he uses these fish. He sees his disciples. He looks at them. Can you imagine? I wonder if he had a smile on his face. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, boys, from now on, you will be catching men. He said, guys, it's time to mount up. We're about to ride together and die together. We're about to do this thing. We're about to go change the world. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed Him. Are you following Jesus this morning? Oh, He wants you to follow Him. He wants you to see what He's doing in the workplace, in the home, at school. He's at work. You better believe it. He's at work. He knows what He's doing. But following Jesus for these fishermen required them to drop everything they had ever known. Everything that was comfortable. You think that was difficult? Absolutely. You think it was worth it? Yeah. He was God. He is God. There's a radical change that took place this morning, if you have not had a radical change happen in your life, then you're probably lost. You probably do not know the Lord. If your life looks the same before Christ as it does after Christ, you may not know Jesus today. Before you can go to heaven, before you can know the Lord, a change must take place in your life. For the disciples, He asked them to leave everything. And this morning, the Lord, He may not call you necessarily to sell your house and go far away. He might. He has a habit of doing that. He has a habit of your family uh, getting mad at you. They don't understand. Have you ever faced that kind of adversity? Have your decisions about your life and your family in relation to the Lord and of being obedient, following the Lord, has it ever brought difficulty on your life? It should. It should. But you might not be called necessarily to go to, uh, example, Greenland. Do you guys know that that's owned by Denmark? 50,000 people live there. I was just curious. I just did a little Google search and 50,000 people live in Greenland. By the way, most of Greenland is what? Ice. The Vikings pulled a nasty trick. Who's going to tell those people about the gospel? I mean, it might be you. In fact, the Lord might plant a seed in your heart today over that territory named Greenland. But He might have something else for you. 
He might want you to check in tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock at the workplace and be faithful. And have a heart for people. People that you might not like. And realize that Jesus loves them just as much as He loves you. And then He sent His Son to... God sent His Son to die for those people. God has a plan for their life too. The Lord used fish to symbolize people. Master teacher the Lord is. And He was using this story brings us to our next point. The ministry of Jesus Christ was and still is focused on fishing. Fishing for men and women, boys and girls. Do we understand this? The end of verse 10 basically is the thesis for the next three years. It's the introductory uh, main theme for these disciples. He says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And so everything that the disciples would do over the next three years would be done through that lens. Fishing for men and women, boys and girls. would be focused on evangelism and discipleship. This is the mission. This is what, guys, for three years, I'm going to show you that this is what I'm about as the creator of the universe. I'm about my creation. I'm about drawing all lost people to myself. I wish for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Evangelism and discipleship. And when a church is not heavily focused on evangelism and discipleship, then that church is wading into disobedient waters. When a life is not focused on evangelism and discipleship, that life is wading into disobedient waters. So this morning, the question is, do you care about people? Do you care about the 46,000 plus in Hancock County who do not know the Lord, most of them? Does it bother you The enemy wants to distract us with programs. He wants to distract us with books to read. He wants to distract us with other people out in the world, professional Christians, telling us how we should live our life. That's what Satan wants to distract you with, friend. He wants us to program ourselves to death. He wants us to do ministry to death. He wants us, you know, it's a, it's a good, it can happen. Good ministries can keep us from the main task. Did you know that, church? And the main task is evangelism and discipleship, it's fishing. Fishing for men and women, boys and girls, and then teaching them how to go fishing. That's the mission. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. In fact, the Lord told us that we wouldn't even have to do the work. We just follow Him. We do what we're supposed to do. And that He would bring the harvest. He will do the life changing. We can't change anybody's life. Right? I mean, you can't help. You can't make someone go to heaven. You can lead them to Jesus, though. These disciples 
they left a career as fishermen. Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And three more perhaps could have been, we know are from Galilee, and could have been fishermen. They spent their lives learning how to catch live fish that would soon die. The next three years, they would catch dead men and women and teach them how to live. To further illustrate this uh, purpose of why Jesus came, let's look in John chapter 21. If you have your Bible, go to the next book. John chapter 21. John 21, Jesus had rose, uh, risen from the grave. He was alive. He was showing Himself to the disciples over a period of many days. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I hope it can be one of your favorite passages in all of the Bible. Uh, but Peter was obviously discouraged and upset. And, I mean, he had blown it, Right? I mean, the Lord told him he was going to blow it, and then he blew it. And he was so brokenhearted. Because he wanted more than anything. He wanted to do what was right. But his actions didn't always match it. I mean, his body would do things that he told it not to do. And his, he would do things that he didn't want to be doing while he was doing it. And so he said, I'm going fishing. Because I've had it. He said, I'm going to go back to doing what I know how to do. And so he goes fishing and some of the other disciples, they said, you know, that's probably a good idea. A man's got to eat, right? And so they go fishing and they're not doing too well. Boy, this has happened before. This is a familiar story. And... Look what happens in verse 5. John chapter 21, verse 5. Children, do you have fish? Now, what stranger calls you a child? It's kind of like growing up when someone uh, calls you, uh, if you're a male, somebody says, son. I mean, growing, I'm thinking, I mean, is your, is your name Brian Frazier? Then I'm not your son. But, in our, you know, in the South, we have all these things we call people. Some are good, some are bad. But Jesus' children, do you have any fish? Think, Who is this man calling? Does he know us? Look what happens. They answered him, no. No, we haven't called any fish. And look what happens. Verse 6, by the way, same lake, same kind of fish, probably tilapia. Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now the only other time this had happened was three years earlier. And look what John says. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. It is the Lord. He knew it. Look what Peter does. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Simon Peter pulls a forest gump right there on the pier, uh, right there in the boat. He just jumps in the water and starts swimming to the shore. He was so excited. He was so happy that it was the Lord. He gets to the bank, hugs Jesus. Now, you'll notice a little further in the passage, it says the net had 153 fish. And I always wondered, why are the fish numbered? Well, today, if you go fishing, if your wife cares about you enough, she's going to ask you, men, how many fish did you catch? Or ladies, if you go fishing and you come back and your husband, how many, did you catch any fish? And so you count the fish just because that's what fishermen do. And so we, it could have been just because. Sometimes things are just because that's what you do, but they're numbered here, 153. And I, I think it's just a picture to the fact that people are numbered. I mean, we all have our unique DNA, do we not? I mean, nobody's DNA is like yours. You really are special. We really are unique and different. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. This morning, He wants us to be about going fishing. What kind of Christianity has the answer to brokenness and lostness of the world yet does not share it with others? What kind of Christianity hoards good news for ourselves? Self-proclaimed atheist Penn Gillette from the magician duo Penn and Teller says, quote, If you believe in heaven and hell and you are afraid to talk to them about it because it would be socially awkward, then how tragic is that? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about that? May we be a people that let down our nets. The Lord is saying this morning, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Let's go fishing. So the question is, Are you going to follow Him? Am I going to join Him? Are we going to join what He's doing? This morning, if you don't know the Lord, and you're overwhelmed with conviction, we'd love to talk with you, we'd love to pray with you. This morning, maybe you're thinking about joining our church, and you'd like to talk with us, we'd love to talk with you this week or next week. We'll come to your house. If your house is messy, we'll just stay on the front porch. We don't care. We can meet at McDonald's. Maybe the Lord's calling you to join this church family, to be a part of it officially. I mean, sure, you're already here. You're worshiping. You love some people. You know some folks. But maybe God's calling you to plant your life here. Maybe God has a purpose for this church body way bigger than you and what you could ever dream of. 
Maybe we're on the cusp of the Lord doing something so phenomenal, so incredible. And He's getting you ready to be a part of it. Maybe this morning God's calling you to follow Him right into a Sunday school class right after this service is over. Find James. James over here, green shirt, handsome fellow, our associate pastor. Let James give you some ideas of where you can land. Talk to me. If you go to all those classes and you don't like them, come back to us. We'll start a new one. But we're going to ask you some questions about why you don't like it. You better have some good answers. How else do you get to know people if you don't join a Sunday school class? You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to follow Jesus by yourself. The Lord wants to put people around you. That has your back. They will encourage you. You've got to let them in though. We have to let them in. It's hard. It's easy for your extroverts, but for introvert, introverted people, it's very difficult. But the Lord calls us to do uncomfortable things. So whatever the Lord said today, may you respond. And may we go fishing with the Lord. Let's pray.